God is good, grab a seat. We're gonna continue this series called Come to the Table. And we are anchored in this series in Luke chapter 14. Isn't it good just to worship God? Man, it's so good just to worship God. We are anchored in Luke chapter 14, and it's the, the story of when Jesus is invited to a dinner. He's invited to, uh, uh, he's a guest of a bunch of Pharisees and, and these teachers of the law, and so he's invited to this dinner, and as he gets into this dinner, Jesus begins to tell some stories, and the stories are really illustrations. They're illustrated sermons of some spiritual points that Jesus wants to make to them, and there's a few different points that he does want to make, but he tells this one story in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. It says, he also said to the man who had invited him, so just get this picture that they're all sitting around this dinner table, and Jesus there, he's been invited. It said, he also said to the man who's been invited to him, he said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And he said, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Again, he is making a point to them that their motives have been wrong and that, that a lot of what they're doing is a show and a lot of what they're doing is for self-gain and all of these types of things. And then we have this scripture here, I believe it's, it's verse 15, that seems to come and go without notice, but something very strategic and important is happening here uh, with one of the guests at the party. So watch this in verse 15. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, at first, this comment seems very fitting. It seems very appropriate. It seems like this guy is, um, you know, trying to make a noble statement here. Uh, but as you look at this, this statement was not just some guy chiming in. What, if you look at this, you study this, the, the commentators will also agree with this, that what this guy was trying to do is he knew that his friend, his host of the party, that Jesus was really kind of bringing a lot of conviction and bringing a lot of possible embarrassment to the host of the party. And this guy was trying to, let's wrap up this topic, let's change the topic, let's uh, find another thing to talk about, let's kind of sweep this under the rug, let's change the topic here. And we know that this guy didn't say the right thing because of what happens next. So if you look at verse 16, it says this, it says, but Jesus said to him, so this guy says this noble statement, but blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, but uh, hold on, let me tell you another story. And then that's when Jesus goes on to tell the story about those who've been invited to the banquet, and yet they all begin to make excuses. And at the end of that story, Jesus says, he says, not everyone who's invited will taste. See, this guy came and he said, well, blessed is everyone who, will, who is going to taste bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, ah, hold on, not so fast. Everyone who's been invited is not, also, is not going to taste. See, this guy was trying to change the subject. This guy was trying to, to move along and pretend like nothing is happening here. And so uh, what, what's happening in this story is, is these guys wanted freedom. They wanted freedom to do what they wanted to do. And so they all began to make excuses about what, what the kingdom of God was requiring of them. They wanted freedom to do what they wanted to do, but they still wanted the stamp of the kingdom of God upon their lives. How many of you guys have ever been there before? It's like, I just really want to do what I want to do, but I want God's stamp of approval on it, right? That's where these guys were at. 
That's where they were at. They wanted to live the life that they wanted. To have. They wanted to have freedom to do what they wanted, but they wanted the kingdom of God. They, they were rebelling to get freedom to do what they wanted to do. And what, what I'm talking about today is something that we, a lot of times we see in other people. Sometimes we'll see it in our kids. We'll recognize it in other places. But, but I tell you, one of the hardest things to deal with is the topic I'm talking about today because we see it in other people, but we've refused to deal with it in ourselves. And so we have a choice to make today. We can, we can be like this one guy who, who had this noble statement. He's like, Let, let's just move along. Let's just pretend like nothing's happening. We have a choice today. We can pretend like nothing's happening, like nothing, there's nothing to see here. There's nothing going on. We can change the subject in our heart, or we can change our heart today. And that's the choice that's in front of us. We can change the subject, or we can change our heart or we could pretend like nothing's going on. It reminds me of when my son, Sean, who was really little, he, we, we got him in that upward football, the flag football. How many of you guys have ever done that before or seen that? It's like flag football for, for kids. And they, they, as a part of this, they say that there's no score. How many of you guys know everybody knew what the score was, Right? The parents knew what the score was. We all knew what the score was. Every one of those coaches knew what the score was. I guarantee you, if you pulled all those kids, they knew what the score was. It's like, dude, kid, you lost. You got creamed, you know? But we all wanted to pretend like nothing was going on. Like, we all wanted to pretend like everybody's a winner. And I'm like, I'm like no, no, they, they just lost, right? It's like that, that uh, game I got a long time ago. Went to a Christian bookstore, got this Bible game, got all invested into it, learned all the rules. We all started playing. We got to the very end of the game and found out that everybody's a winner. No, they're not. Not if I'm playing. Not everybody. Somebody's going to lose this game. Somebody's going to lose. We're going to figure out a way, you know? And, and if, it was, if that game's uh, mo- like, like purpose was to reveal my motives, they, they won. They got that, you know? And so it's kind of like that. We can pretend like nothing's happening. We can pretend like we don't really know what's going on today. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what if this is me? Holy Spirit, what if there's something in me that's happening in this story? So what's happening in this story is they wanted freedom. How many of you guys know that freedom is a great thing, right? Freedom is a godly thing. In fact, It says in the word that it was for freedom that Jesus set us free. Freedom is a godly thing. They wanted freedom, but they wanted to get freedom in a wrong way. And there's so many of us here that we want freedom. We want freedom to do what what we want to do. And freedom is a godly thing. But we go about getting freedom in the wrong way. And here's what sin is. Sin is a counterfeit for a legitimate desire. So they wanted freedom. Many of us, we want freedom. Freedom's a godly thing. But sin is a counterfeit for a legitimate desire. Let me say it this way. Sin is an illegitimate way to accomplish a legitimate end. Sin is a counterfeit way to meet a real godly need in our life. So what happens in other areas? We, we want love, and love is a good thing. Love's a godly thing, right? But many times what people will do, instead of, instead of really having love, they'll take the train of lust to try to replace love. Many times what will happen is, is we, want, we want peace. And how many of you guys know the peace of God is such a good thing? The peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so we want peace so badly, and peace is such a godly thing. But we'll, we, we, we don't always get there the right way. Sometimes we'll self-medicate to try to get to peace. 
We want freedom. We want, we want this freedom to do what we want to do. And freedom is a godly thing. And yet we try to become the master of our own life to control our way to freedom our way. See, sin is always a counterfeit way to accomplish a legitimate desire. And I, I get a lot of inspiration just walking around our nurseries, you know? Sometimes I'll just walk around and I'll pace and I'll pray. I get a lot of inspiration. And so uh, really what this all comes back down to is two trees. It all comes back down to two trees. And I got my inspiration just walking around in the nurseries uh, this past week. And so take a, take a listen. Okay, so it all came down to two trees in a garden. You guys remember this from Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, and that's why I'm here with these two trees. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight for, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there were two trees, and they were told, you can eat from one, but you can't eat from the other. And we know the story. Genesis this is chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, tree of, uh, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. God. And so that was the temptation to be like God. Now think about this. Being like God is not a bad thing. I mean, we're told to be like God. We're told to be conformed into his image. But again, it's the way we do things that are important. And again, sin is a counterfeit uh, path to a legitimate desire. The way is so important. And so for Adam and for Eve, rebellion didn't bring freedom. It actually brought death. And the only way for them, for us to get out of that is to actually be born again out of that death. And so rebellion creates this false freedom. The guys in the story that we read earlier who made all these excuses, they rebellion actually took them into a new form of slavery. But since they chose it, it felt like freedom. And here's why this is important. The reason this is important is because you will ultimately bear the fruit of whatever root it came from. So these days you can take your spit and put it into something and send it off somewhere and they will give you all these results of your DNA and your family tree. And they will give you all of these DNA reports of where you came from, who you came from, what part of the world you came from. And all of that is pretty fascinating. Your DNA can be traced back to a certain family tree. Well, the truth is your spiritual DNA or your spiritual actions, that DNA is also tied to a certain root. And spiritually, if we don't deal with the roots, eventually we will have to deal with the fruits. And so it's so important that you are spiritually tied to the, the roots are spiritually tied to the fruit. And eventually you will bear the fruit of whatever root you came from. You will bear the fruit of the root. And so that's why this is important. That's why we have to understand this. Rebellion does create this false freedom, but since we choose it, it feels like freedom to us. But eventually, whatever freedom that's been gained will eventually turn into death if it's from the wrong root. And I felt compelled to preach this message today. It's, it's going to be a very strong message. It's going to be a very interesting message for, for some of us. Uh, but I felt compelled because I felt like we need to be honest with ourselves. Because I really believe like, like some of us, some of us have opened a door in our heart 
to rebellion. And, and I want to challenge you. If there's a part of you that you kind of almost admire about yourself that's a little rebellious, if there's a part of you that kind of flirts with that, if there's a part of you that feeds that, and if there's a part of you that when you see that in your kids, you feed that, like you think that's cute or you think that's kind of honorable or a virtue in some way, I want to caution you because I, I get tempted with that myself. But I can tell you whatever root it comes from, it's eventually going to develop into a fruit. And so I want to caution you because so, much, so many people have this root of rebellion on the inside of us and we flirt with it. We think it's, it's a virtue almost. And again, I'm not talking about standing up against wrong things. I'm not talk, talking about that at all. I'm talking about there being something in our heart that admires this rebellious spirit or this rebellious attitude. We have to deal with the root. And because if we don't deal with the fruit, eventually that, fruit, that root grows up into a fruit. And we see that in James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And it starts off really small. It starts off like very innocent. It starts off almost fun, almost cute in a way. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Again, the root is going to lead to the fruit. And, and the reason this is important, because I've seen this firsthand as a pastor. I see this uh, maybe at an extreme level as a pastor, even to the degree that I'll let you in on just a little bit of secret, but, but it, every single year as a pastor, I basically have to kick somebody out of the church. You say, I can't believe you would do that. You, I cannot believe you would do that. In some ways, I don't really kick people out of the church. I simply say it this way. I simply say, you cannot continue acting this way, controlling, manipulating, trying to push an agenda that's not godly. I say, you, you cannot come any further. You know, that's my job, by the way, as a pastor, to be the, the shepherd of this flock, to help protect this flock. And I have to do that. That's a hard job, by the way. But every single year, I have, to, I have to draw a line spiritually and say, you cannot go any further. Why? What's happened? Because someone has opened up a rebellious door in their heart that eventually started to grow into something, even to a point they didn't even realize what was happening. Wonderful people who've now allowed an attitude to turn into a, an influence of a spirit in their life of control and manipulation all started off with a seed of a little rebellion in their heart. I'm telling you, I see it firsthand all the time. Uh, you know, uh, Robert Morris and Jimmy Evans talk about it in, in this way, and they even talk about the extreme form of it is a Jezebel spirit. And, and then this Jezebel spirit, I want you to know it's not a man or a woman, it's a spirit behind it, okay? So I want to be clear about that. It can be subtle or it can be in your face. But what happens with it is it, is it started with an attitude that has given opportunity for a spirit to influence in their life. And again, most of the time, many people don't even realize it's at work. And so what happens is we've let a root turn into a fruit. And this happens over and over and over again. It's a product of people not dealing with the root in their life. And listen, I have seen it up close again and again and again. And the reason I'm preaching this message is because I believe some of you are dealing with this. Some of us are dealing with this root in our life that right now it doesn't seem like a big deal. Or some of you are dealing with the influence of a spirit in someone else's life or the influence of a, an attitude in someone else's life and you're seeing the fruits and it's affecting your life. 
And we have to understand how to deal with this in our life. We have to understand how to deal with this at the root level. And so I'm going to let Pastor Jimmy Evans share a story and share what this is all about just to kind of give you the extreme version of how serious this is and something that happened in his church. So take a listen to Jimmy Evans. I've had two full-blown Jezebels that I have dealt with. Both of those were threatening to me and one to Robert. Uh, In our church in Amarillo, I had one Jezebel, a woman. The Jezebel here was a man. And both of them were masters at employing the full range of unrighteous control in church in the name of God. Number one ingredient of unrighteous control is manipulation. And this is Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 18, and this is Jesus. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame, his, or eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, service, faith in your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel. Let me stop right there and say, all control is allowed. And all control stops when you don't allow it. Okay. It, it, it exists because we allow it. A man controls a woman because a woman allows it. A woman controls a man because the man allows it. A pastor controls a church because the church allows it. Okay. And so, or, or someone in the church controls a pastor because he allows it. So Jesus said, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now notice, she calls herself that. It wasn't authority that recognized that in her. A Jezebel spirit is self-proclaimed. They don't need authority. You know a Jezebel spirit because they hate righteous authority. And by the way, a Jezebel spirit is always seeking to fill a void of authority. That's why there has to be real, present, righteous authority to oppose a Jezebel spirit. The Jezebel that we had at Trinity in Amarillo was a woman. Her husband was a leader in our church, real sweet guy. And uh, we didn't know her very well when he became a leader in the church. But as we began to know her, she tried to, um, first of all, mother me. Uh, She tried to kind of tell me, uh, we took a trip one time with them, and she sat directly behind me in the car. And from the time we left till the time we got back, she told me how to run the church. And for the first hundred miles or so, I put up with it. And after that, I just thought, this woman thinks that she can, you know, do everything. Her husband didn't say anything because he was a very weak man. She was, a, she was a bomb thrower. She was a letter writer. And at first, I, did, I just didn't know what I was dealing with. I was a young pastor. I didn't know what I was dealing with. But she became more and more vocal in the church and more and more vocal against me in the church. I, I became the source of her irritation because I simply wouldn't give her what she wanted. And her husband never said a word to me about it. You know, he was just, he was, again, a very weak man. Now, let me say this now. Uh, there's, there's the Jezebel influence, which is just unrighteous manipulation, intimidation, whatever. Then there's a Jezebel spirit. Okay. Well, let me describe the Jezebel spirit for just a minute. Now, as an entity, I've come against a lot of different spirits through the years. And I don't get weird about this stuff, but when it's a spirit, let me, you can't disciple a spirit. You know, you can't educate them. You can't pacify them. The only thing you have to do is come against them in the name of Jesus and get rid of them. Okay. So she, she 
gathered a group of people around her um, that, that all had basically the same irritation, which was me. It was, it was a group of people in our church that just, they all wanted something that they weren't getting. Well, she became kind of their champion. They all gathered together around her and, uh, and ultimately left the church. But before leaving the church, it just was a barrage of accusations. I mean, I was accused of everything. I, I can't think of anything I wasn't accused of in this period of time. But the thing that was worse with me was I would go to bed at night and there was like a 500-pound weight on my chest sucking the life out of me. And I, and I began to pray that God would uh, take me home. I began to pray that I would die. And, um, and she was going crazy. And then she started writing letters. And let me just tell you something. It, and again, it wasn't just a woman. It was a spirit. And her letters were like the most terrorizing things you could ever imagine in your entire life. And she began to send them to me, to my wife, to people in the church or whatever. And I remember sitting one day in my office at home. And I just, I, I was ready to die. I was miserable. I, I just... It, it, my life was miserable. And I, and I was full of self-pity, I want to say that. And, and I was saying to the Lord, I was angry at God because this had been going on for about a year before it came to a head. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you, listen, you need to remember Ananias and Sapphira. You know, <laughs> I'm one good funeral away from being happy. And, and please let there be photos in her obituary that, you know, show the whole thing. But I mean, I was, and so I was mad at God. And here's what the Lord said to me when I was sitting there. You'll fight or you'll perish. And, and so in other words, Lord, wasn't, my self-pity wasn't getting action in heaven. <laughs> because God will not do for you what he's given you the ability to do for yourself. And Jesus said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm you if you use that authority. If you don't use the authority, you're going to get killed. You're going to get clobbered. And so what happened was I began to come against Jezebel, a spirit of Jezebel, in the name of Jesus. It didn't happen all at once. But it took about two or three weeks of every day praying. And every time I prayed, I felt more empowered than before. And finally, after two or three weeks, the spirit broke over me. Powerful, powerful stuff. Listen, you, God, God will not do for you what you, he's already given you the authority to do. I can tell you for me, I'm taking my authority in Jesus' name. And, and the reason I'm preaching this message is because some of us have allowed a root to start to grow. And some of us know someone in our life that are displaying what he just described. And the only way you are going to deal with it is in the spirit. The only way you're going to deal with it is in the authority that Jesus has already given you. And I felt led to do this because some of us, maybe we need to even repent of this in our own life. See, rebellion creates this false freedom, but you want to know how real freedom comes? Real freedom comes through surrender. I was fascinated by this story that I heard years ago. I've shared it before, but in 1944, uh, you guys know World War II was going on and all this type of stuff. And there was this one guy, this Japanese imperial uh, soldier of the Japanese hero, Onoda, who was uh, charged to be stationed in the Philippines. So they went to the jungle, him and a few guys in the Philippines, and they were fighting this war. And they were charged to hold, it, the, hold the island for the glory of the emperor. Well, in 1945 or whatever, the, the next year, the, the war ended. They signed the treaties. They did all that type of stuff. And so the war was over. And so they, they sent word to this guy, to Hero, in, in the jungle. 
And they said, the war's over. You can come out. Come on, let's go. We have to, you know, the war's over. And he thought it was a trick. He thought it was a trick of the enemy. So he didn't come out. He kept fighting. So eventually they dropped leaflets from the sky. They dropped pictures of his family members uh, with notes saying, please come out. The war is over. This is not a trick. He still didn't believe it. He thought it was a trick and he kept fighting. And, and they did everything they knew. They went in with megaphones. They did everything they could. But this guy continued to fight in the jungle uh, for almost 30 years. True story. Until finally in 1974, they flew over his former commander, who I think was now selling books or something back in Japan. They flew his former commander over to order him to come out. And when they finally ordered him to come out, he, he finally believed his commander. And so he came out and he surrendered. Why do I tell that story? I tell that story because just like this guy, some of us are fighting a battle that's already been won. And our freedom, we think our freedom is coming through our fight, but listen, your freedom is going to come through your surrender. And this guy didn't experience freedom until he finally realized that the war had already been over and that he, was, he needed to come out and simply surrender. And some of us, we've been fighting a battle. Here's what I want you to know, that Jesus won the battle 2,000 years ago on the cross. The battle has been won. We've been trying to fight it in our flesh when in fact we just simply need to surrender. We simply need to surrender. I'm going to have the worship team come back as we get ready to close, but I want you guys to deal with this in your heart as we're getting ready to wrap this up because some of you, you might say, well, I'm just simply a product of my natural family tree. Like that DNA test, like if you were to look back to my natural family tree, you would see all the problems that I come from. You would see that, you know, my dad wasn't there or my mom did this or my siblings treated me this way. And so that's why this is in my heart. You could go back and you could see all the problems and all the brokenness in my family tree. And, and if you were to take that spit test and to go back to my DNA, you would see exactly why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. And, and I'm telling you, your family tree does matter matter, okay? It does affect you. But I want you to understand that there is another tree. How many of you guys know there's another tree called the cross at Calvary? And it's not a spit test, it's a blood test. And it was that one drop of blood of Jesus that can make all the difference in the world. And some of us need to just take whatever's going in our heart and surrender and submit it back underneath the blood of Jesus and let the blood of Jesus wash all over it and make it clean again. Some of us need to come back to realizing that there's power in the blood of Jesus. You know, I used to, when I was a kid, I remember hearing my, my grandmother, she would sing this song and we would sing it in church, but I specifically remember her singing it. And many of you guys will know it. But it's that song that says, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. You guys remember that song? Some of you guys remember that song. Would you guys stand up with me? Some of us need to come back to this place where we just submit it back to the blood of Jesus. Jesus 
It washes white as snow. Come on, sing that one more time. Oh, the for the longest time I, I used to wonder even as a believer even as a pastor I would have these thoughts like well why does it matter that Jesus died on a cross like I mean there's been a lot of martyrs before there's been a lot of people who've died before for good causes and and even though I understand all of this stuff about you know Jesus dying on the cross and our substitute and taking our place. And I, I thought about that for a long time. And I thought, well, there've been other people who took somebody else's place and died in their place. Why does it matter? And then I had this revelation that I should have had a long time ago, but I, I realized that Jesus isn't just another man. It's God in the flesh. And that when his blood was spilled, there's... There's only so much God in the flesh blood ever in all of history. There's a lot of human blood. There's a lot of blood that could be spilled, but there's only so many pints of blood that is God in the flesh blood. And when God in the flesh willingly lays down his life and spills God blood, it makes all the difference in the world. So that we could say that one drop was enough for humanity. One drop was enough to take care of it all. First Peter chapter one, verse 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, from your natural family tree. Yeah, you inherited sin, you inherited problems, you inherited all sorts of stuff. But you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, though with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And for many of us, we need freedom so badly. But I want you to understand the battle has already been won. We just need to surrender to the blood of Jesus so that we can say, oh Jesus, your blood washes all over. It washes every single part, every rebellious part, every rebellious fruit, it washes over me and makes me clean again. And we're getting ready to receive communion. There's these nifty little communion cups right beside you. So grab one of those, and if you don't have one, reach over and grab some. If, if they're in reach, or raise your hand, one of our ushers will get you one if you don't have one. And during this next song, I want you just to take a moment with Jesus. Take a moment remembering that as you receive that that little cracker there that it represents the body of Jesus that's been broken for us, that he paid the price that we might walk in freedom. It's not in our own effort, it's not in our own strength, it's not through our own rebellion that gains control, it's when we surrender to him. And that his blood, when we take that juice, that we're reminded that his blood was spilled for us and that it's God in the flesh blood and it's more than enough. That one drop was enough for all of humanity and it includes you and me. 
So we're going to take a moment, let me pray, and then we're going to just have a moment with God. And we're just going to, and I just implore some of us, we need to repent. Some of us, we need to use our authority. Some of us, we need to surrender. Some of us, we need to just invite Jesus, the presence of God, into a special new way in our life, into a new season right now. But God, we thank you so much for your blood. We thank you that you willingly died in our place. And Lord, we say we surrender. We hold up the white flag and we say, God, we come under your victory. That you rose from the dead and that you give us life. And listen, if you're there at your seat right now and you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, you can do that right now for the very first time. You can say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I entrust my life to you. Jesus, wash away my sins. Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. And even right there as you receive communion, you can receive the life of God. You can receive salvation. Lord, I pray for any person who might be in that situation right now. Lord, as they surrender to you, that they would find true freedom. And Lord, we're thankful that we have found that in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take communion as we worship during this song.